listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Kate and we're going to be talking about difficulties attaching to your adopted child. Hi Kate. Hi, how are you? I'm absolutely fine. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's really nice to have you. So can you tell me a bit about how you came to adoption and your child being placed with you? Oh, it's such a long time ago now. We just talked about adoption probably about 10 years ago. I didn't really fully commit probably till about two years after that probably. And yeah, so we looked around various agencies and found one. And we got matched with a little girl at 10 months. So she came home to us at 10 months old. That's the very little. Yeah, she was, she was very small. But the ironic thing is they said that um, don't expect a baby and don't expect a girl. <laughs> we're like, okay, that's fine. We can have it. We're quite happy. To oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're happy to adopt an older child, boy. It's fine by us. But yeah, that's how it turned out. Wow. And so had she been in foster care prior to coming to you? Yeah, so um, obviously because she was so young, there was an order for her to be removed at birth. So she was removed and obviously was in hospital for a few weeks and then went straight to the foster carer and only had one foster carer placement before she came home with us. That's quite similar to my story, actually, because our son came at 14 months and had only had one foster placement. And the amount of times I've been told by people, oh, that means it'll be really straightforward then. He won't really remember. Did you get told those sorts of things as well? Yeah, a lot of people said, oh, it must be good because, you know, they don't have any trauma or or bad memories of previous um, placements or birth parents. But that's completely, I found out it's completely not true. (laughs) Obviously, there's trauma in the body and the the brain remembers that. Obviously, it translates into... um, into behaviour when they're a bit older. So, so when your first child—I'm uh, sorry, when your child first came home, how was that first period for you? Oh, it was really—it was really um, weird. <laughs> so, in, um, introductions where um, you go to their house or you go to the foster carer's house was just the most intense, crazy thing I've ever done. Spending a whole week at someone else's house and learning about how to care for this potential child of yours was just really intense and really but it was amazing I mean having this little person with you it's just I don't know it I can't really explain it really it's just amazing intense tiring but so fulfilling at the same time um so yeah we brought her home and then the first day we brought her home it was just really strange because we drove back home and then we put her in the cot and then she was having a nap. We were just sitting in the living room thinking, now what, what do we do now? We've got, we've got a living <laughs> baby next door. That's really strange. So, yeah, and it was a bit of a shock yes, to the system. I remember that. <laughs> um, it was a bit of a shock to the system because we were, we had lack of sleep and, you know, not used to having a, a child come in. And then she was quite hypervigilant. When you look back now, you realise, oh, yeah, she was quite hypervigilant because she'd wake up in the night and then you go in and you try to soothe her. And then any little movement you made, she went back to sleep, but any little movement you made, you would wake her up. We would, like, crawl on the bedroom floor like ninjas 
<laughs> trying to like not make any noise. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be one point where I'll be on the floor crawling and then lying down for five minutes and then getting up and making one more move and lying down for another five minutes. And then it got to the point you get to the bedroom door <laughs> and um, you had to open it a little bit to let the air vacuum, kind of the air pressure to um, become equal. Because if you opened it, she would wake up from that, from the air being different. Wow. So um, we had to do that and then slowly creep back. It reminds me of one of those films where they're trying to break into a vault with sensors all over the floor. You know, <laughs> it was like Mission Impossible. impossible. <laughs> it was completely like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds like that was really intense time. Yeah, it was intense. And then we, um, I had the equivalent of paternity leave. My partner was the, we decided my partner would be the full-time carer or um, take maternity leave or the adoption leave, sorry. And I would take, the two weeks off at the time so we adopted over Christmas she came to us over Christmas so I had two weeks off anyway from work and then there was another two weeks and then another week and a bit for annual leave so about yeah six weeks I had off which was really lovely but then it was probably a bit too short to be honest um, and then I had to go back to work and that's when she didn't really to know me <laughs> so it was really strange so my partner would take our, our child to play groups and um she would toddle over to another any woman with dark hair she'd go and sit on their lap and didn't really look back at my partner which obviously made her feel very uncomfortable mm. and it's quite tricky obviously and then i would come home from work and it was it would be really hard because she'd spend the whole day just them two and then when I came back little person was not too happy that I kind of invaded in a way and I remember my partner had to prime her an hour before I came home from work say you know mummy's mummy's coming back home mummy's going back home um just to try and make sure that she's aware that I was coming so yeah so then it, from there things didn't really get any better she got older it was okay, but as she got older, she kind of rejected me more, and she would uh, hit or kick me and slap me. I think because, you know, when they're 18 months or something, they start doing that just to see what reaction they can get from their parents. But for me, I took that quite personally, because <laughs> I've never, you know, you don't expect to be hit, I suppose. So I took that quite personally, and I probably didn't react. No, and I guess, I guess the dream of parenthood that we all have is that it's kind of fluffy and lovely and loving and warm and and I know that throughout all the prep courses and all the reading and all of the meeting social workers you are warned that it might not be like that but I think still we sort of expect that it is going to be quite lovely and quite nurturing and all of that and I remember once I was holding my son and he sort of he took my finger into his mouth when he was a baby and he was just sort of playing with the tip of my finger with his lips and suddenly he bit down and he bit so hard that I couldn't speak. And I was trying not to react because I thought, I think this is for a reaction. So we both just sat there frozen with him biting and me trying not to react. And it was a really weird moment because as well as it being horrible in itself, I was thinking, why are you biting me? I'm doing nothing <laughs> but caring for you. Why are you doing this? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that. I um, had a little one on the on the nappy changing table after having a bath and she stood up and she 
whacked me in the face, like proper slapped me around the face. Um, and it really hurt and it's not what you're expecting, you know, because it just comes out of nowhere. So I think she was quite fascinated by my reaction, the fact that I didn't react, that I did react in a way with like, oh my God, but I didn't, I didn't hit her. Or I didn't like, you know, do any, I didn't physically do anything, but she must have seen my eyes look really like angry. To, and I yeah. assume that my partner didn't do that because she was like, oh, what's this? Oh, let me try it again. And, and then try and hit me again <laughs> to get that reaction. So, and then it got to the point that she would reject me she didn't want anything to do with me. She wouldn't look at me, wouldn't talk to me. And then I, again, you know, you can look back and go, well, this is why, I suppose. But at the time, you didn't really, I didn't really notice. But I don't, at the time, I didn't really take rejection very well. It kind of was a trigger for me. So it was like, well, if you reject me, I'll reject you. So I think that's what happened. Yeah. And it's ridiculous because it's a child. It's a baby. It's a small person. You, you think you're an adult and you can rise above it but when you're deprived of sleep and you know you've got this little person who is being mean to you and triggering you and really like hitting things that really triggers something in you it you know you can't rise above it at times I think particularly when you haven't had therapeutic parenting yeah completely because you're sort of stripped of all your coping mechanisms it's like what you can understand in a in an office, in a discussion, in a theoretical basis, what you can intellectualise and say, well, of course, that's very clear. Then do it on no sleep for five nights and a bit hungry and eating rubbish because you haven't got enough time to cook anything proper and your partner's tired and you're possibly doing the argument over who's the most tired and, and work is as demanding as it ever was. And then try and cope as you're slapped around the face. It's really, really hard. And I get that completely, that all of that theory goes out the window and there's this flash of, I don't know, anger or disappointment or resentment or something. It's really hard. Yeah, and you know, and I think if you're not a pet, if you've never been a parent, you don't really, you're not really in that situation. And you're normally surrounded by adults who are, you know, considerate or will, you know, you can say, don't do that or something. And they will listen or I haven't slept. Can you just give me five minutes? And they'd go, okay. Whereas a child's like, no. No, you must do this right now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was quite, it was quite tiring and quite difficult. Did you ever feel like the adoption was under threat from your perspective? Like you wanted it to stop? Do you know? I think I went also. <clears throat> I know in um, prep groups, and everyone tells you, you know, you need to, your life will change. You know, quite obvious, your life will change when you have a child. And you go, yes, 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 yes I understand that. And you go, no, you need to, like, prepare because your life will change. You go, yeah, that's fine. But when a child comes, you go, oh, my life has changed. No longer can I, like, have a coffee in an art gallery on my own or, you know, I can wake up whenever I want or stuff like that. So it's kind of like I think I went through a mourning process of my former life. And I think it's only then that I realised that actually my life has changed. And it's not the case that I regretted adoption, not at all. It's just more the case of I just needed that time to mourn it as well as look after my child. So I didn't think that the adoption was under threat in that way. I think it, it was gradual over time. So it wasn't the case that she came and then she started hitting me or kicking me or ignoring me. I think it was, you know, it was months in the making uh, to the point that we got 
she wouldn't let me do any care in a way. Um, she would, my partner would get so tired of having to look after her all day and in the on the weekends as well, that she would just put us in the room and say, look, you're going to have to put her to bed. You're going to have to bathe her. I can't do it all. I just can't do it. Which now, when you look at therapy, therapeutic parenting, probably not the best thing. But, you know, she was just at a wit's end. And then it was like my child was locked in with a murderer. She would be at the door. She was only little. She was a toddler. So imagine this little toddler is in this room with you and she's screaming her head off, banging and kicking the door and, and screaming for my partner saying, please, please, let me out. And it was just heartbreaking to see. You know, she didn't want to be in that room with me at all. It must have been horrible. It was, it was horrific. And it was just really sad. And then I would wait. I'd be like, try and talk to her. Come on, you know. I, you know. She was like, no, 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 no. And it got to a point where she would had cried herself out. She was exhausted. And it's only then that I could say to her, do you want to cuddle? And she's like, yeah. And then she'd let me cuddle her and then she'd let me put her to bed. And it was just, yeah, it got to that point. But as I said, it wasn't right at the very beginning. This this happened over months and months of our relationship just getting slightly worse every day. And were you talking to anyone about that, any professionals or social workers at the time? No, which is weird because you'd think I would. I mean, we had the social worker coming over, you know, a few times. But again, that was at the beginning. So it wasn't that bad. But it's, it's strange because I've never actually thought about that and why I didn't really talk to anyone about it. I think I tried to look up things, particularly because our little one couldn't play by herself. So she she always needed interaction, which is, again, that's tiring as well because the moment she wakes up to the moment she goes to bed, she just could not be on her own. She could not entertain herself at all. So, yeah, I don't, I, so I looked up, I tried to look up things about that. But surprisingly, couldn't find any hardly anything about that. But yeah, it's weird. I didn't really ask anyone or talk to anyone. I think talking to someone who hasn't adopted, who's had biological kids and haven't adopted, they don't really understand it. It got to a point. So after work, my job at the time got really busy in the summer. So I was working. I was at work from 7am to 7pm at night. So I'd leave the house before a little one was awake and I'd come home when she was in bed. And that didn't help at all, yeah. I think. And my sister came to visit in the summer. She's got uh, kids of her own. And she she vaguely looks like me. She doesn't look entirely like me. And uh, she would joke and say, look, look, I'm your mum or something. And she can't recognise who you are, like, as a joke. You know, she thinks I'm her mum. And I think she promptly stopped joking like that when she realised she saw my face. <laughs> and I did not find that funny at all. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so I can't remember what the question. Oh, yeah. So did I talk to anyone? No, I didn't really talk to anyone. Um, but my partner did talk to her friend who uh, adopted as well, and then she suggested GBB, which um, you know isn't the Great British Bake Off, <laughs> but is the Great Behaviour Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about that? So how did you feel about maybe? seeking some support and how did you access that so our friends sent a link for this introduction so it was just like a couple of hours there was a, a trainer there really nice guy who adopted him 
he's adopted over 50, sorry, he's fostered over 50 children, adopted himself. Um, so he knew what he was talking about and he kind of gave us some uh, brief description of what GBB is. GBB is a therapeutic parenting course and it's about based on the brain. So children who see red can't stop what's going on at the time. So there's no point shouting them saying, don't do that, you know, because they just can't. Their, their body's in, in attack mode in a way. So GBB is about the parent being the midbrain, the calming bit of the brain, just to, to neutralise what's going on and then try and talk to them when they're regulated and, you know, obviously hours later when there's calmer and then you can talk to them about it then. And it's got different types of techniques you can use. So we went there, went to the uh, evening session, and someone asked a question. Someone put their hand up and said, how do you know, I've got a two-year-old, three-year-old, how do you know what they're doing is just normal kid stuff, and uh, how do you know when it's not normal kid stuff? And he said, your instincts will tell you, you will know. So, and he said, for example, if your child is pushing their forehead into your forehead and it's really hurting and it's like they really want to get inside you you know that makes you feel claustrophobic and you know that doesn't feel right and when he said that me and my partner looked at each other and thought this guy knows what he's talking about because she our little person did that to my partner and it always made her feel really claustrophobic and really icky inside and there was other there were other things as well so, yeah, so we decided when he talked about it, we were like, well, this guy knows what he's talking about. This theory, this therapeutic parenting sounds really good. He talked about what kind of techniques you could use. And also my, our friend who recommended it had done it and said it was really good. So I think personal recommendation probably helped. So after the intro evening, we applied for the Adoption Support Fund. I oh, know, so I think we actually... It's through another community adoption organisation where we got four free sessions, I think, on each Saturday. I think it was a whole day on Saturday. So we had some information about it. Oh, that was it. Yeah, so, sorry. So, yeah, we did four Saturdays, I think it was, all day of the, the parenting. And I, it was only after that we did, we instilled, we put the techniques into practice it worked to a certain point, but we then applied to the Adoption Support Fund to get money for it. To get So that's how we got it. So that's a very long way of telling you how I got that in the end. <laughs> that's fine. So was, when you applied for the Adoption Support Funding, was that to fund some one-to-one -one tuition in this technique, or what was that specifically to fund? So that was to fund one-to-one um, -one sessions with the trainer himself so we talked to him and we said look is it possible that we can have these one-to-one -one sessions on on the phone or whatever in person and he said that's fine and that's how we yeah so we applied to the adoption support fund for those chats really and then he kind of it kind of like counseling but with guidance at the same time if that makes sense yeah it sounds really good it sounds like a sort of mentoring almost yeah it's like mentoring and you know, we we would talk to him about, I think, I remember there was a time when she couldn't sleep, and she wouldn't sleep, and she found it really difficult, and 
we had to GBB it. So we had to put try to put on these techniques. And as you probably know, sleep time is really tricky, especially when all you want them to do is just go to sleep. And it's getting late and they're getting tired and you're getting tired and frustrated and they're getting tired and frustrated. It just becomes a really difficult thing. But with GBB, you've got to let go of the outcome and just deal with the here and now and try and put those techniques into practice. So we we would do that and then we would talk to uh, our trainer after and say, well, this is how we, this is what she said or, and this is what I said and this is how we dealt with it. And then he would give us pointers about next time, maybe try this or you know, that was really good, or maybe try that again next time, you know. So he would say what worked and what didn't. And then eventually it kind of, it just worked. And I think our my relationship with little person really improved. So at first it felt really strange putting these techniques in. So we would talk to her, well not talk to her, but shine a, it's called shine a light. So basically you're, you're telling them what they're doing. You know, I can see that you're really upset by this. Maybe it's because of this. And then she would get really angry. And she'd like, no, and she'd cover her ears. And sometimes you had to either push it or not push it. And if she got really agitated, we'd stop and we'll come back to it again. Or, you know, she would do something and then you kind of contain the situation. And then when she's calmer, I kind of bring it up again. And then we would... I would say how that made me feel and you can tell on her face even though she was little she knew how you felt in a way so we kind of I think it was also GBB just gave me a structure to work with and it also made me realize like my trigger points and what made me yes. feel upset or angry and then it just made me feel more calm in a way so I didn't react to her as much as I did. And slowly over time, we liked each other again. I remember in that um, your previous podcast about the uh, adoption depression, you and the other person mentioned about caring for your child, you know, making sure that they have been fed and watered and everything, but you just had no emotional connection to them. And it's apparently it's called block care. And that's exactly what I did before GBB. I just, I made sure she was okay, but I didn't really have any connection with this person. But over time, I, I did, you know, we started like liking each other again and, and enjoying being in each other's company. And I purposely made sure that we went swimming every Saturday. So we'd have that physical contact. Yes. Um, which I thought was quite important. I have heard that swimming is really good because of that, sense of you are holding the child up above the water so they will allow the physical contact so you're close and they're relying on you and you're not letting them down and all those things I've heard that it can be really bonding yeah and it's a way in you know because normally if you try and hug a child in that situation they, they just push you away they don't want to know but obviously if you if they're in the water and you're the only option <laughs> to keep them alive then they will happily <laughs> <laughs> will happily hold on to you which is great and it's just, you know, it's a lovely way of spending time together, which I miss during lockdown. <laughs> yes, I bet. I, I think that when you get an adopted child, if the problems kind of start early or the challenges or the blips or whatever, they don't have to be huge. But because you don't love them yet, you haven't got that resource to draw on to pull you through. Whereas because I've had birth children as well. And for me, that love arrived quite quickly for the birth children. And so then when there were blips or sleepless nights, you're dealing with a child that you are already bonded to. 
as they put you through hell and and that bond held whereas an adopted child who arrives traumatized and acting out that trauma and who you haven't had chance to get to know in any other way and so suddenly you're handed this child who is essentially causing these distressing feelings in you and is extremely distressed themselves and there's no reserve of love or bond to draw on and you just end up looking at this child thinking what what's just happened to my life I don't get this at all yeah I mean that's exactly right and it's interesting because I remember in our training courses there were lots of other parents who who were saying but I adopted them as a baby you know they don't have this trauma and everything but actually they do and I read um the primal wound the book I don't know if you've read it yes I have yeah yeah, and there's, I mean, the premise, I'd, I've read I've read it, and the premise, I think, is quite apt in the sense that it's, you know, a child has evolved in your in your tummy, you know, if you're a pregnant woman, the child has, has uh, gets used to your voice, gets used to your hormones, it's basically primed for you to look after them in the real world when they're, when they're born. And now when they're taken away from that person, it's gone, you know, everything that they're in the room that they learn, they, they recognise the voice, they recognise the smells, they recognise everything, is suddenly taken away and given to somebody else. It's traumatising for them, and not to mention, you know, babies whose parents have taken drugs or alcohol or things like that. That's, you know, that's quite traumatising for them as well, for their bodies. And that's I, that's what happened with the little person. Yeah, and... Yeah, and also, of course, they've lost their foster carers as well. So they go through that trauma at birth of losing the birth parent, and then they're raised by the foster carer for quite a while, and then they lose the foster carer as well. So by the time they're, say, a year old in the case of babies, in case of the one that I adopted and the one that you adopted, by the age of about one, they've gone through two major losses. And so it's been reinforced again that everything you know can disappear. And then you try to care for them, and and there are the markers of that, I think. Yeah, definitely. I remember when she came to us and she's, you know, I think obviously it's a novelty, you're sleeping somewhere somewhere else. And after, and she slept fine. After three or four days, she kind of stopped sleeping and was like, okay, this is, this is, this was fun, but now I need to go back to my real life, go back to my foster carers. Yes. So she stops uh, sleeping and she would wake up in the middle of the night or she wouldn't go to sleep and then she'd be crying and she wouldn't let me comfort her not just me my partner as well and she would um you'd hold her and then she'll pinch you like under the arms where it's really delicate and it's really painful and you're tired and um I remember putting her on the floor because I just couldn't cope like uh, you know you're trying to comfort this wriggling crying baby and who's pinching you in the really delicate you know really painful areas under your arm um and then I just I put her on the floor because I just couldn't do it I couldn't do it and then she'd just slump and you could just see the grief on this little person and then I'd immediately pick her up again and would start all over again of her crying and pushing me away and pinching me um and yeah as I said this she'd do that to my partner as well and it was only like months and months afterwards that uh, there was one time she woke up and I went in and I gave her a cuddle and she just laid in my arms. And I said, oh, so this is what it's supposed to be like. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, you can definitely see it in little people. Yeah, I look back at early photos and knowing my son as I do now, he looks traumatised. And I thought he looked okay. I didn't know him well enough to know that he wasn't okay. But he just looks frightened in those early photos. And he must have been. But I couldn't see it because I just didn't know him. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's such a big upheaval for them. It's um, it's no wonder that they've coped. <laughs> it's no wonder that they reacted the way they did, I suppose. And it's so hard yeah. as an adult to realise that. And so it obviously made a big impact at the time. And can you sort of talk us through the years that followed? Because you're some years down the line now, aren't you? And I'm just curious about how your story continued, really. So, yeah, so that was um, that was about nearly seven years ago, or six and a half years ago, we, had, we adopted her. And it's just really strange because I think it's that thing where you're just implementing the GBB techniques, you're having the one-to-ones and everything and then suddenly without realizing it you're in a relationship oh yeah <laughs> we like each other again that's nice <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like one day bang we suddenly became friends it was it just happened over time and it's just gotten better our relationship is really lovely now I mean there are, she still prefers my partner which makes complete sense because she's the one who looks after him more than I do because I have to work hmm. But we, I don't feel upset by her rejecting me sometimes when she's tired and she wants she wants her other mum. That's fine, and I can see where she's coming from and why she's acting the way she is. And our relationship's really good. So we have a lot of playing together, a lot of laughs, and it's just getting stronger every year. I suppose it doesn't. It's really weird now because. I wrote some stuff about how she was when, at the time, a few years ago. And when I read back on it, I think, oh, my God, it was actually quite bad. I think when time goes on and you you, comp- you kind of forget how bad it was, um, but until you read something you've written at the time, you go, oh, yeah, it was quite bad. And I'm so glad that I'm not, <laughs> it's not like that anymore. And I think like you, what you said before in the, the previous podcast, I think you said that you'd like to relive those years again. Knowing what you know now, mm. I'd like to relive those years again when she was a toddler and, and really enjoy it. But obviously you can't. All you can do is just enjoy what you have at the moment. And that's fine, you know. She's a she's a wonder. So <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> that's lovely. And you have to forgive yourself for the not having been able to do it differently because I I don't think there's any suggestion that any of us weren't doing our absolute best. It's just that we just didn't know what the path was and stuff. It's funny you mentioning the other podcast because after we recorded it, it was quite an emotional thing to record it. And um, I chatted to the other guy afterwards and he said it had been quite emotional for him to record it. And I, like you, had kept a diary at the time when I was really struggling. And it remained in the house. And I didn't really want it to remain in the house forever because it was a very frank assessment of how I was feeling which doesn't at all represent how I feel now. And in the end, I thought, well, I'll burn it on the fire because then it's gone. And and I was making balls of paper and my little boy came in and he couldn't read it because my writing's awful anyway. And so he sat and made balls of paper with me out of this old diary. And we sat and we sort of threw it onto the fire together. And, you know, obviously paper goes up with a great big blaze. And so he was loving that. And of course, he didn't know the significance of it, but it was a really lovely moment and kind of a closing of a chapter for me because we sat together 
feeling close and feeling bonded and me feeling like adopting him was one of the best decisions that I ever made as we let this stuff go up into smoke and turn into ash the way that it was in that moment because it, it's not like that now yes and that sounds really lovely you know that he helped to destroy it with you it's really sweet <laughs> yes <laughs> I was just going to say I I want to keep my writings because it's just in a way, it kind of, I'd like to remember how it was at the time. It doesn't detract from where I am, but it's kind of like yeah. something that I would like to keep. Yeah, it's like your battle scars in a way. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could time travel back to the you that was then when you were struggling, what advice would you give? I'd seek help. So, you know, talk to someone mm. about it. You know, you're not alone. Lots of people go through the same thing. And, you know, just basically, yeah, go and seek help. Talk to somebody. And realise that yeah, what she's doing is not because she's mean. She's been horrible to you. It's just because she's feeling horrible. And she's just acting out. So don't take it so personally. Yes. I know it's hard to say. It's hard to hear at the time. But, it, you know, it's true. That's really, really good advice. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest today, Kate. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more team.